Hello, and welcome to Time for the Soul. My name is Sharon Kugler, and I'm the Yale University chaplain. Today, we are joined by my special friend, Darren Lattimore. Darren is the Deputy Dean, Chief Diversity Officer, Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. And Darren and I have served on a few committees together. Uh, probably the most prominent in my memory is our time spent on the President's uh, Committee on Belonging, and uh, where we really spent a lot of time talking, especially with students, about the issues around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging on campus. Uh, and we laughed a lot together, too. And one would be maybe surprised to know that, given that we were dealing with serious matters. But we became friends as a result of that. And when I was pulling the list together for this podcast and the conversations I hope to have about call and vocation and sacred work, Darren was the first name I wrote on the list. And after I wrote his name, I wrote compassion and passion. And the reason I wrote that was because those were the things I thought of when I think of the work that he has done. Not only at Yale, he's been at Yale now, this is his sixth year, he came in January of 2017, um, but his life has been leading one of compassion and passion. And I just wanna start off with that, both acknowledging it and saying how grateful I am for our friendship, but also just how amazing it is to know a colleague who Yes, you have a, an important critical role in a very important school, but the first thing one thinks about when one thinks about you is the human. So I want to just put that out there and see if you can respond a little bit. So first I want to say thank you um, and thank you more for being a friend. I agree with you. We've had um, many conversations together. And yes, we have worked on committees, but we've also done service at the individual level together. And you've definitely mentored me in um, thinking through things. I would say my passion comes from my deep desire um, to help people move forward in their lives. And that can come in many different forms. Um, it originally came in the form of being a practicing doctor and helping people not only improve their health, but also pass away graciously. Um, now, I'm not a practicing doctor anymore, but I use those same, shall we call them, skills um, to help young, the younger generation who aspire to be doctors to help them achieve those goals and to help my colleagues who are working through multiple things, some of them good and some of them not so much so, get from where they are to where they want to be. And I really, truly am, I don't know, fed, if that's the right word, um, by actually seeing people achieve whatever their goals are in life. That I, I, I say all the time, you are my legacy. Mm. Tell me more about that being fed. I mean, what does that look like? How does that, how does that embody itself in your work? What it, what it feels like for me is, is really satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really my work cannot be about me. So I have to constantly remind myself that no matter what's going on, no matter if I agree with the person who's sitting across from me, this is not about me. 
This is about helping them get from where they are to where they need to be. And so just seeing people in that journey, that actually feeds me. It really, truly does. You know, one of the things that really sticks out for me in our time together, Darren, and I so appreciate what you said in the beginning, uh, is that when we've been in committee meetings and a difficult issue has been put on the table, you're never really too far from ready to speak about how difficult that is and humanizing it. And I would imagine in the medical complex in which you serve, there can be a lot of gnarly sort of distracting things that can get in the way of the actual clear path you're trying to kind of form for people to get to where they're meant to be, as you say. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. I mean, what is it in you that you draw on to be able to, first of all, name those truths and do it in such a way that everyone can hear it? I mean, I've watched that. I've watched you. I know you well enough to know he's teeing up something, (laughs) and it's going to be hard, some sort of medicine. (laughs) And yet, there goes the nodding faces where people are like, I hadn't thought of that. Where does that come from for you? What, I ha- what I'll say, I'm not sure if I know exactly where it comes from, but what I have to keep reminding myself is I cannot be in a place of fear. Mm. And so if something really truly needs to be said or something truly needs to be done, then I have to have the courage to say it. And for me, quite honestly, that's what real leadership is about, being having the courage to do the right thing even when you're afraid. So... Um, I have to admit, um, after I say a lot of these things, <laughs> I, I, well, Darren, maybe you should have thought about that a little bit more. But in the moment, I really, truly feel it is my duty that if I honestly feel a conversation is going in the wrong direction or a vulnerable group of people are not being acknowledged, um, especially on what the impact of a decision might be, it is absolutely my obligation to speak up. And I also have to understand that the convers- people may not agree with me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. My job is just to make sure that people hear a different perspective, one that I think represents the minoritized, marginalized, and stigmatized of our communities. Um, and as long as I feel that they've heard that perspective, even if they choose to go in a different direction than I recommend, I have to be okay with that. Well, and I, I think that how you voice that commands a level of respect and absorption. I think that's the right word, where I see it kind of go into people who maybe ordinarily be too quick to dismiss those people who are stigmatized and on the fringes or whose voice just isn't heard for whatever reason. Um, and... That's where I also see that compassion, both in how you talk about this to others, because I don't feel like you are about shaming people, but at the same time, so you see people as people, as human beings, and we're all flawed, but at the same time, you're driven by this other force that is, no, you're going to need to hear these stories. You might not have thought of this. 
And it does feel, to my eye, as sacred work. And, and life has taught me, I have to admit, um, that shaming someone or calling someone out is not the way to move someone forward. Life has really taught me that you have to meet people where they are and try and help them move forward. And you have to do it in a compassionate way and in a way that does not diminish their humanity and their dignity if you honestly want them to move forward. Because if I'm diminishing someone else, then it is about me. It's mm-hmm. not about the work. Mm-hmm. If it's about the work, then I need to do that with graciousness. Well, and I think about that you, you always make it clear this is not about you. Um, at the same time, your voice is what is getting some of this work done. Because otherwise, it's easy to ignore the voiceless. And it's not the right thing to do, but often I see it as an easier thing to do because it it does become complicated because we have these huge systems and at places like Yale, there's tradition and all this other stuff. So for change to happen, and we've talked about this, it's slow. It's slow. And um, what I'm going to say I think is sad, but I also think it's very true. I often tell people what my MD credentials did for me was it gave me power and it gave me access to the room. Mm -hmm. That because of my MD, I am allowed to be in spaces and to actually be the voice of many people whom, as you said correctly, would never even be allowed in the room, let alone at the table. And if if I have to be honest, I honestly believe that is what the MD has done most for me. Mm. Beyond the healing and and all that other stuff, since you're not practicing anymore, you're doing a different kind of of healing work. Yes, and truthfully, I'm going to be honest with you. Going to medical school taught me how to heal, but I actually came in with a healing spirit into mm. medical school. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, I learned technique in medical school, mm. um, but. The important thing was already instilled in me before I actually came to medical school, which is to see every human being's humanity. That was there before medical school. But as you said, so many people who have very important things to say, they're not listened to. They're not even allowed into the space to actually be heard. And I'm very, and I say fortunate, I say that on purpose, that because I have an MD, I am allowed in the spaces, and therefore, and people actually listen. They may not like, they may not agree, (laughs) but they do listen. Mm -hmm. I want to end with just a quick conversation about your beloved pets. (laughs) Because during pandemic, you were on Zoom in many meetings. We were together on Zoom, and you were tending to your beloved animals. And I just, you know, tell me what you get from that. What, what, how does that, how's that part of the whole you? Because it does feel like it's part of that sacred circle in your life. Oh, without question. So um, I have a horse. I have three Nigerian dwarf goats and I have two Great Danes. So just so you understand (laughs) what she means by petness. (laughs) And they bring me back down. 
the, you know, if I do allow myself to get too wound up, if I do allow myself to absorb the negativity, I go out and I sit out there with the goats and they jump all over me and they try and eat me and they just remind me of what's actually truly important. And so I would say my pets, quite frankly, more than than anything else, recenter me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, you and I haven't talked about this on this podcast, but we have in other times about, you know, a kind of spiritual centeredness and a appreciation for creation and for the gifts of God. And... Um, you know, the fact that you really faithfully nurture these pets and see their importance in the world, too, um, is not a surprise and speaks to Darren, the person. But it goes both ways. My pets mm-hmm. nurture me uh, also. It goes yeah. in both directions. And you let it in, you know. Um, again, you're not centering yourself. You're, you're centering the action. And I don't know, for those of you who don't um, ride horses, it may be hard for you to understand this, but when I ride my horse, and we often ride out in the woods, so I am, for miles, the only human being, and I am really able to absorb because I only see animals and wildlife around me. And again, that quiets my brain in a way that nothing else does. Yeah. Yeah, I I share that and try to connect with nature as often as possible, in particular to watch animals. Because when I'm bearing the weight of some horrible challenge that I feel, you know, is, is waiting for me or just the world in general is breaking my heart, I'll look at animals and thinking, they really aren't aware <laughs> of this. But they are interested in the new smell, the change of the weather, and what's to eat. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, is what we're worried about really important or is what, what they're actually interested in what's truly important? Amen. Darren, thank you for spending time for the soul with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a wonderful conversation. Time for the Soul is produced by Ryan McAvoy, created by Sharon Kugler, Maytal Satiel, and Sean Mignon. Our music is by J.P. Durvin. This has been a production of the Yale Broadcast Studio.